Praise the Lord, O my soul. It is well with my soul. That is our hope. That is our love. That is our faith. It is the foundation of this church. That message is the purpose for every transportation device invented by man. That truth is what every human being needs to hear. Praise the Lord, you've heard it at some point. Perhaps maybe not all of you to some extent. But you've heard about Jesus, what he's done. It is the gospel. So what I want to talk about today, and for the next few weeks ahead, and for that reason, I'm going to ask you to turn your Bibles to Colossians. Colossians chapter 1. I was here last Sunday in Colossians 3.17. So talk about how all things are tied to Christ and how to make the most out of anything in your life. Because it is tied to Christ. And Colossians has been a book that God has used in my life throughout this past year in various ways. And for that reason, as well as the holiday season, I'm going to uh, take a break from Titus and focus on the Colossians. We will finish Titus, but it will be a few months from now, and I plan to finish it on Wednesday evenings beginning in the new year. I'd go from chapter 2 and chapter 3 of of Titus. Very good things there to be said, and I don't want you to miss it, so I'm going to ask that that you especially uh, take note of that. We'll let you know when we finish that or get to that in the new year in January. Um, But Colossians chapter 1 is going to be... Very fitting for us as we move into the Thanksgiving season. I had no idea how uh, Colossians is constantly bringing up Thanksgiving. It's mentioned six times in the book, in just a few chapters, six times. And every time it's tied to the life of Christ. Uh, When we get to uh, December, we're going to focus on verses 15 uh, through 20. Every week in December... Another verse, 15 through 20 of of Colossians 1. We're going to talk about lifting high Christ from the Mass. Lifting high Christ from the Mass uh, as we come to December. Uh, But we are finding ourselves in chapter 1. And so I want to focus on on verses 1 through 8. As well as just to kind of give you an overview of the entire book. Uh, in this this morning's passage, uh, and we're going to talk about how the gospel grows. Paul is seeming to acknowledge how the gospel is growing, and, and so let's uh, stand as we read this together and to see how the gospel grows, and let's pray for the gospel to grow in our life. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. To the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, 
Grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before and the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and growing as it is also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you heard it or learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love and the spirit you may be seated about a year ago i was talking with evan and just in everyday communication and i had just made a commendation for him and just told him i i was pleased and uh that he did a good job and just said you know you did a great job and i don't remember what it was about but evan stopped in that moment and sometimes it's so good to hear a four-year-old talk and this is how old he was at that time because he you know he says things without much disregard of who he is or who i am it just tells the truth bluntly and he just said you know daddy i felt really good when you said that i did a good job i like it when you tell me that And that was a word of instruction for me to help me to parent. To say, to know at that moment what it does to him. Because I know there's going to come a time, because I've seen it, (laughs) where I can say good things and they act like it's no big deal. Just okay. But I know that in that moment, he has already revealed the truth to me. So when he's 15, I know what he's thinking. Because he told me when he was four. You know, parents, you know what I'm talking about. Those who've had teenagers ago. You, you treasure those moments when they're young and they tell you stuff like this. Because you know it's going to be true. They just won't reveal it later on. And just the, the power of encouragement. To commend somebody. Like he did this morning. Thank you. Thank you for behalf of Mike and, and Carrie and Julie and myself. It means so much. Uh, when you do things like that and it just is greatly appreciated and and i love you um but it's it's nice to have those moments uh when you just get some uh, word of expression like that and thank you so much for that and those uh candy bars will be well used uh so thank you so much for that i've had a strange craving for chocolate since i've got back from east asia uh maybe not strange uh but uh you know Thank you so much. And, and, and here Paul is, and, and writing this church, it's a church he's never met. And he just gives them a word of encouragement. He said, you know, I've heard some things about you. Let me share some things I've heard about you. Let me encourage you in this way. And, and he talks about faith and hope and love. He said, I've heard about your faith. I've heard about your hope. I've heard about your love. And, he, and then he says, uh, as as we read in verse 5, that these all are part of the gospel. And this gospel is spreading throughout. I've heard about the gospel's impact among you. And it just begs the question when we read about this, is what do people hear about you? What do people hear about Green Pine's body? It matters, you know, what they hear. 
So consequently, it matters what you say. It matters what you do. The things that we say, the things that we do, are to flow out of faith, to flow out of hope, and to flow out of love. Because that's the gospel's content uh, in, in part. And so we want that to be spread. We want folks to hear that. And so I, I praise God that uh, this past weekend that there was an act that um, we did together that communicated some of that love, some of that faith, some of that hope. That uh, when you guys are working and having people come to your homes for the My Hope campaign, it is to share your faith, is to share your love, is to share your hope with these who are your family and friends. And to, to hear that, I, I don't think there's an accident that uh, Billy Graham called that campaign My Hope. I don't know if you remember that byline that he would, sometimes you'd hear on TV. Don't, you saw commercials for this on TV or the news brought it out or on the radio. There's this byline where Billy Graham would say, I, with all my heart, I want to leave you with truth. I thought, what a great line. And here you have Paul acknowledging to this church in Colossae, truth, love, hope, faith. It was through a man named Epaphras uh, that this church probably was started. Uh, that was short for Epaphroditus, so you can see why they shortened it. Um, even the Greeks had words that were too long, so they shortened uh, this word, uh, this name. And it was very likely that while Paul was in Ephesus, that this church could have started. It could have been that Epaphras came down and got exposed to the gospel and went back to his home. It was about 100 miles from Ephesus to Colossae, up a river, the river valley. In fact, in the Revelation, the church Laodicea uh, was a neighboring town to Colossae. Hierapolis was another neighbor, neighboring town. And so Colossae was just really a market town at this point. It was really a, an insignificant town in the culture of that day. And so consequently, it's unique that Paul writes a letter to this church uh, that was in an area that was so... Uh, insignificant culturally. But nonetheless, there are some things that he hears about that he wants to just bring to their attention and to correct and, and to encourage in their, in their walk. And so, uh, as we read this, we've, we've got Paul. He's acknowledging who he is as Apostle Christ Jesus by the will of God, Timothy our brother, to these saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. Typical uh, greeting for Paul. Combine the Greek idea of grace with the Jewish idea of peace and puts them together. Verse 3, we always thank God, the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. I, I just can't help but just note that Paul prays for people he's not yet met. I encourage you, uh, November is also the, the month of, of remembering those who are persecuted uh, in, in the faith. There are many people you will never meet this side of heaven that are struggling because there are forces wanting to silence their voice for Christ. I encourage you to pray for some. And make that a part of your life. Here Paul is praying for people he's not yet met. Uh, lifting them up. I encourage you to do the same. And so we come to uh, verse 3. We thank God the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. And the love that you have for all the saints. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel. I want to just share with you about how the gospel grows. You remember Jesus prayed, he taught us to pray, 
uh, our Father which art in heaven, thy kingdom come. Have you ever wondered how does the kingdom of God come? How does it advance? The kingdom of God advances in several fronts. Three ways, primarily. The kingdom of God grows in you. Okay, that's the depth of the kingdom of God. And then there is the breadth of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God grows around you. And then the kingdom of God grows in its nearness and proximity and closeness. And every day is a day closer to God's kingdom being realized fully. All right, so the kingdom of God grows in you. And so the gospel is the primary tool of the kingdom and bringing people into his kingdom. And so let's first look at how, how the gospel grows in you. Because let me just assure you, you can give $30,000 to Lottie Moon Christmas offering for missionaries to share the gospel with people who have not yet heard. But if the gospel is not growing in you, you are defeating the purpose of your gift. Do you understand that? We could travel, we could share the good news with, with people in your workplace and your family. You can put tracks in every place around. You can share the story of God. You can have folks come to your, your house to do the My Hope campaign. You can be involved in Vacation Bible School. You can do all these things. But if the kingdom of God is not growing in you, you are defeating its purpose. Worship of God comes through hearts being changed. If the hearts aren't changing, the gospel isn't working. And so you can share it, but if it's not changing you, then you are defeating the purpose. Because, I mean, after all, why do you want to hear about the gospel from someone too greedy to even tip in a restaurant? All right? You see how that can defeat the purpose? Why do you want to hear the gospel and how it brings truth in our life to someone who's lying in the workplace? Why do we want to talk about the gospel of God, how it produces love in us when we are hateful to our neighbors? So the gospel has to grow in you. Christ must control us more and more. And so... (laughs) It doesn't matter all the broadcasting and sharing the good word if our life isn't changing. And so look at how the gospel is changing these people that Paul hears about. He says, first of all, uh, verse 4, We heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. That's the triad, isn't it? That's the, the, the great three. 1 Corinthians 13 talks about that, having faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love, all right? So that captures what the gospel is producing in our life. Faith is having confidence in Christ. So we can talk about having faith all day, but it's not just having faith in yourself. I hear about that sometimes, that you've got to have faith in yourself. You know, the, the song we just declared says you don't have faith in yourself. Don't be... Don't be that type. Christians are not people who just have faith in themselves. That's a good feel-good word. A good optimistic word. We let people produce that when they can't talk about Christ. But if you can talk about Christ, we're talking about having faith, confidence in Christ and what He's done. The fact of the matter is, I mess up. You mess up. I need someone who doesn't mess up. I trust in, I have confidence in Christ. And then we talk about uh, love. He says, 
uh, I've, we've heard of your faith, your confidence in Christ Jesus, and of the love that you have for all the saints. Faith is expressed through love. Confidence in Christ expresses itself in caring for people. You understand that? Confidence in Christ expresses itself in caring for people. Whether of the church or outside the church, there is a, a reputation of love that you have for all the saints. I, I, um, uh, Gloria was sharing. She had a, an instance this past week, and I don't, I don't think you'll mind me sharing this. This is at the Rex Wellness, and uh, she works there uh, part of the time. And, and she was some question came up about where she goes to church. She says she goes to Green Pines Baptist. And, and uh, uh, someone said, oh, I've, I've, I've heard about that church. Uh, <laughs> and so, like some of us, we'd be like, oh. <laughs> oh, what, what, what did you hear? <laughs> and she said, what? The person said, I've, I've heard that there's a lot of good things that the church does for the community. And that's good. That's good. When a community has that, that regard for people of faith. But they need to know that the good that's done is because of faith. It's not just because we're super folks. We're good people. We just, we just like collect only good folks and we, dis, we exclude those or not. That's not the idea. It's that faith changes us. Christ changes us and so we have a hope that's found in something else than whether or not our resources are used for ourselves and so we share the resources that god brings to us to help people around us and so uh, paul has heard about the love and and so the gospel comes into our life to overwhelm us with the love of god to know that every need I have is found in Christ. Do you know that? That every need you have can be found in what Christ provides for you? One of the questions that came up uh, in, in East Asia. We're talking about the gospel and sharing what, what we call the creation of Christ story. Uh, how mankind was built by God, built for God. And uh, sin came in and broke the relationship with God, uh, and so therefore we are cast out, out of family, out of community, but God loves us so much, uh, even though he hates sin and has to punish sin, he sends his son Jesus Christ to die for us, to pay the penalty of sin, to bring us back to God, and and we were telling this story of what that means, and, and after a while someone asked, well, if I follow Christ, will God give me money? <laughs> now that's a pretty fair question, isn't it? Will God give me money? I mean, you talk about how good God is. Will he give me money? And the point of it is, is no. That's not the solution for your soul. And that's what we often think is the solution for our soul. Well, if I could just get somebody to help me pay rent this week, then a lot of my anxiety be taken care of. But how many of you know that you can have your rent paid for? You can never have a money problem, but still have a lot of problems. Because God doesn't want to give you a mud pie when he can give you the most delicious and nutritious dessert ever. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Why do you want mud pies when God has something more, greater, 
that the reason why you want money, the reason why you want your bills taken care of, the reason why you want cars, the reason why you want cars uh, and clothes and other things, the reason why you want these things are actually satisfied in Christ. And so this is the faith that brings love to say everything you have is supplied by Jesus Christ and therefore you can give for all the saints. The love that you have for all the saints that you can give generously. How does this happen? Why can this happen? Well, verse 5. Hope. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. So according to this passage, though the greatest of faith, hope, and love is love, according to 1 Corinthians 13, according to Colossians chapter 1, hope is the beginning. Love is the ultimate culmination because if you have love, it's going to mean that you have faith and that you have hope. But it begins with hope. A legitimate question that's asked is, why should I care about people? Why should I really care about them to get out of my comfort zone, to do something different than what I normally want to do? Why should I? Because, I mean, sometimes they're good, sometimes they're not. And to be honest, I don't have love for them. And that is a great, honest observation. How many of you have been there? (laughs) Okay. So how does that love get birth? Hope of what God provides. An expectation of what God will do. That God is going to remove me not only from the penalty of sin on the cross, he removes me from the power of sin and the resurrection. We'll talk about that in the weeks to come. But there will be a day when he'll remove me from the very presence of sin. And sin is something I've come to despise and see it as the source of all uh, disaster and disease and isolation and shame in this world. And one day it's going to be removed from me. And that is my hope. And that is a desire that all people know this hope. And that God wants all people to know this hope. And so I will share with someone. Not because so much I love them. But because God loves them. And I love God. And God loves me. And so there is a heartbreak that God experiences over people who do not know the gospel. And I have hope that is centered on who Christ is. What God will provide. And so, therefore, I don't have to live for my retirement account. I don't have to live for some date set here. I live for a date set by God. Now, to be honest, there are other things that give hope, are there not? Radical Islam gives hope. How else do you explain People who will suicide, suicidally set off a bomb. They have a hope of heaven. They have a hope of, of what that heaven looks like. And so they trade off whatever remains of their life for that hope. So we cannot deny that, can we? It's given ample evidence monthly, yearly. Weekly in some places. It's there. But let me just present to you, what does that hope produce? The hope of a radical Islam produces death. Murder. What is brought out in Colossae, the hope of Christ 
produces love, produces life giving. Now, to be fair, there are those who claim the hope of Christ that have killed. What I'll present to you is that is a distortion, a twisting of the faith. When it's not Christ anymore, but Christ and, and they add something to Christ. The great value of the Christian faith is that it has been self-correcting. For instance, for most of our American history, people who are Christians had no problems with calling someone else their property. And even said the Bible allowed it. But it's interesting to note that when we look in our country's history, that those who were most active in correcting and bringing to light this blind spot of our faith were Christians. That were self-correcting. We see that happening in England and other places. And so there is a hope of Christian faith that produces love. But it starts right there with what we hope to have in Christ. It's the expectation of future grace that God will give us. Now, uh, I want us to read something here. We're going to look at what the point of, of Colossae is about. Because we're going to skip on down to uh, just, well, maybe verse 10, 11. In verse 9, we'll look at next week, Paul begins his prayer. And in verse 11, he says this is the point of the prayer. That you be strengthened with all power. He prays that be strengthened with all power. And then he talks about the source of the power. Uh, and, and at the end of the chapter, one, he talks about who Christ is. That we don't have a sub, uh, sub-grade power source. We have God visible as our power source. And so he looks at that. And then in chapter 2, he talks about the barriers that, that keeps Christ working in our life. He talks about certain heresies that have uh, hindered the power of Christ working in their life. And then in chapter 3, he talks about how the power of Christ works in the life of believers today. Okay, And so we're going to look at that. And that's kind of the, the outline of the book, if you will. But it all is pointed to this idea of the power of Christ working in life. The resurrection life. It lifts up Christ as our source. But notice what is the result of that. What does it look like to have resurrection power in your life? I mean, really. Resurrection power? What does that look like? We're walking on the water. We, we're telling storms to stop and they stop. We're feeding the 5,000 with just a few pieces of bread and a fish. Maybe. Maybe, and it can. But notice what Paul says, verse 11. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. Why? For all endurance and patience with joy. Wow. I would just present to you the resurrection power looks like joy, enduring hard stuff. It looks like joy, enduring hard stuff. So, consequently, if that is true, if verse 11 is true, if that's what resurrection power looks like, then don't be so disappointed when hard stuff comes. It is in the hard stuff that joy is most evident that it is of christ it is of resurrection power and so resurrection power having the life of christ in us is not always walking on the water or any time of us walking on the water but you know what's even more powerful 
It is a miracle when you go through hard times and there is perseverance, there's patience, and there is joy when you worship in the midst of that. Paul is saying, I want you to know resurrection power. And this is what it looks like. And then he talks about how that works in life. So the gospel grows in your life. When you pray... Oh, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. You're going to pray that God's kingdom grows in you, that the gospel bears fruit in you, that your heart, your mind, your attitude is shaped by who Christ is and what he's promised. You're shaped by something. Sometimes it's some achievement. Sometimes it's the praise of some person. Maybe it's just fear. Maybe it's some bad thing. Something's happened to you in your life and you're shaped by that. But your attitude, your priorities, what you hope in is shaped by Christ. Okay? That's part of what it means to walk in Christ. Now, the gospel grows out. The gospel grows out. We read this and as we keep on going down uh, to uh, verse 5, he says, Of this you've heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel which has come to you, as indeed the whole world, it is bearing fruit and growing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. So it's been about 30 years since the resurrection and Pentecost. Maybe 35. Since that time, it started in Jerusalem. It has gone out to Syria. It's gone to South Egypt and North Africa. It's gone east to the areas of of uh, Persia back then is going north up to present-day Turkey and and Europe and Asia is going west to Greece Rome and in fact when Paul writes this he writes this in Rome in prison okay and it's just a few years before his own death but one of his hopes as he goes to Rome is that it goes to Spain which is the end of the earth as far as westward goes so in just 30-some years, it has reached most of the known world at that time. Of course, they didn't know about South America. They didn't know about North America. Know, uh, some of these places we know about today. Which is why the Lord didn't come back. There's more people that needed to know. But here we are, we know more people than ever, but we have more ways of communicating than ever. And here Paul is saying... This gospel is going throughout. Let me just share with you. Six years ago, uh, I had uh, my first trip to East Asia visiting with Jeremy and Trisha Randolph. Um, we had had a church trip go. Uh, before that, I think maybe eight years ago, uh, we had a group go. And then before that, we had a group go out to, to explore. But it's been about eight, nine years uh, since Jeremy and Trisha have been in working among the Nosu people. Um, at that time, we would go and we'd do prayer walking, and people were cold, would not talk to us, just a, a different spirit. I want you to know that for the very first time, when we were out sharing and talking with people, I came across a few people every once in a while. When we were sharing the story, they said, you know, I've heard that story before. What's happened? The gospel has gone out throughout the Nosu people. And now a movement is starting to happen that eight years ago wasn't there. We had, um, in 2011, we went, um, 
a few of us went, Chris and Rich and, and Laura Laird and Harriet and myself went uh, 2011. And we came across a man. He was a security guard at a museum. He had just started to come to understand the gospel and to believe. We had the, the great privilege of just being there witnessing, handing him a Bible in, in his own language. So that was in 2011, two years ago. What is the fruit of the gospel in that man's life? Today, he is pastoring a church that he started among his own people group. We just happened to be there when he got the Bible for the very first time. What does two years' time do with God at work in a man's heart who's willing to believe and to obey? Now, his church was one of the first churches among what we call the Nosu Audu dialect. It was different subgroups of Nosu people. The fruit of the gospel, it goes out. It's its nature to go out. Do you realize that? It is the nature of the gospel. Within the gospel is power to spread out word of mouth from person to person. The, the nature of the gospel and the kingdom of God has the power within it to take over the world. Jesus said the kingdom of God is like a, a little mustard seed. Though it starts small, it grows into be one of the biggest trees. It's like leaven, a little bit of leaven that comes in. And, you know, I made some, um, some homemade root beer, all right? It was legit, okay? Um, and we, we put a, just, I couldn't believe it. We had this big packet of yeast, and it was just a, a small little fraction. And it went in there, and it just flavored the whole gallon of drink. I'm telling you, it was legit, all right? Um, but it's just a little bit, and, 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 they, and they want you to let it sit in the right environment for a couple of days. And in that couple of days' time, it saturated the whole drink. The, the, Jesus said the kingdom of God is like that, that it just is a little bit and spreads. In it is that power to do that. So when it doesn't happen, it's because there's barriers that you and I have placed in the kingdom of God's way. When I think about this man we call Jacob... That within two years' time, he, he not only got the Bible, he read it and started church and, and is working there. And I asked myself, in two years' time, why has that not happened in my life? I hope you asked that question when I brought that time frame up. The problem is not the kingdom of God. The problem is not the gospel. It's in its nature to do that. The problem is our own unbelief that we insert into the kingdom of God. That hinders the growth of God's working in my heart as well as through me out to the others. And so what I want to challenge you in and challenge us in is to pray, God, what hinders the gospel's work in my life and the life of the church? You plus the kingdom of God equals great fruit. Unless you bring barriers with you. Just understand that. And so the gospel grows not only in my heart, the gospel grows out around. Just like he's seeing in Paul's day, it's still doing today. And God wants to do around here. Now, verse 7 and 8. Not only the gospel grows in and the gospel grows out, but the gospel grows through. Gospel grows through individual people. Okay? The gospel doesn't grow through programs. The gospel doesn't grow through events. 
Do you understand that? The gospel grows through individual people. How does the church grow? When individual people convey the gospel to someone else. That's it. The events that we do, children's ministry and other things that we do. I'm going to tell you the fall festival does not grow our church. The veterans dinner does not grow our church. Vacation Bible school does not grow our church. Youth ministry does not grow our church. Facilities do not grow our church. A music program does not grow our church. God grows the church, but he does it through people. Through individual relationships. And so we cannot have in the back of my mind, well, you know what, I hope we have more events so that our church will grow. If you're thinking that, then you're not thinking what the Bible teaches. The events are good inasmuch as people takes it upon themselves to talk to people about the gospel. And there are some events that encourage that, isn't there? It helps you do that. The gospel grows through people. And so as, as Paul considers Colossae and how this church has grown, he says it has happened through one person. And we see that in, in verse 7 through 8. This Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf. He's made known to us your love in the spirit do you understand that god wants to use you he wants to work through you the kingdom of god is missing around you and you're the key you're the key for god to work in your life specifically involving love faith and hope that's where you're going to touch people you're going to touch people Not necessarily just through tracts that you give out. But you're going to touch people through faith, your faith, your confidence in Christ. You're going to touch people through your hope. And I'm going to tell you, nothing reveals your hope as when every material hope is stripped away and all you've got is Christ. And you're going to reveal and touch others through love. Sacrificing For the behalf of someone else. Don't you wish you could just give money? (laughs) Don't you wish it was just so easy as giving a track? No, you don't. Because then you would never know the kingdom of God at work in your life. So it's working through people. I want to just share this story with you in in ways to kind of give you a visual of this. uh, For us to be inspired, encouraged and prayerfully challenged to trust God in. It comes from the book, The Insanity of God. I've shared this with you, uh, authored by the pseudonym Nick Ripkin. talks about a man named Dimitri. Dimitri uh, was in the, the communist Russia countries. He was not a pastor. He was just someone that grew up in the faith. And the fact of the matter, all the pastors were taken away and all the churches were closed. And, and for him to get to a church, it would require several days just to get there. And so he just came upon him that, you know, maybe I'm just going to start reading to my own kids the stories of the Bible. And that's what he started to do. He started reading with his own kids. And then that morphed into singing, which morphed into praying together as a family and you know it's a close village and as as they're singing and praying village members start to hear 
And, and they start asking Demetri, Demetri, can, can we come? We, we want to hear these stories too. We remember some of these and we want to hear these songs. And, and Demetri said, I am not a pastor. I am not qualified to do that. But they would come anyway and listen outside the windows. And, and more and more people started coming. Before long, the, the, his house couldn't hold him. And there were people outside uh, his house just listening in. Uh, to this and and the authorities uh, got wind of this and and they challenged him and said Dimitri you need to to close this church and Dimitri said we're not a church I mean we're just meeting together to read the Bible and to 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 sing and to pray and sometimes we give to help other people and <laughs> he was a church he didn't know it but the opposition knew it the opposition is more keenly aware of the spiritual vitality than sometimes we are. And where there's opposition, it's always because there's a source of great spiritual vitality. And so they threaten him. One time they did it within the meeting, and, and this little old lady just was like a prophetic voice, said, you have touched the man of God. It was just within two days, the man that was making this threat died. Which only produced even more people coming together to worship. And so the authorities moved Dimitri a thousand kilometers away from his family and locked him in a prison. He would spend 17 years in this prison. His sons would grow up, grow up without him. His cell was so tiny that when he got out of bed, it took but a single step either way to get to the door of his cell to reach the stained and cracked sink mounted on the opposite wall. Or to use the foul, open toilet in the far corner of the cell. Even worse, according to Demetri, he was the only believer among 1,500 hardened criminals. He said that his isolation from the body of Christ was more difficult than even the physical torture. And there was much of that. Still, his tormentors were unable to break him. Demetri pointed to two reasons for his strength in the face of torture. There were two spiritual habits that he learned from his father, disciplines that Demetri had taken with him into prison. Without these two disciplines, Demetri insisted his faith would have not survived. For 17 years in prison, every morning at daybreak, Demetri would stand at attention by his bed. As was his custom, he would face the east, raise his arms and praise to God, and then he would sing a heart song to Jesus. The reaction of the other prisoners was predictable. Demetri recounted the laughter, the cursing, the jeers. The other prisoners banged metal cups against the iron bars in angry protest. They threw food and sometimes human waste to try to shut them up and extinguish the only true light shining in that dark place every morning at dawn. There was another discipline too. Another custom that Dimitri told me about. Whenever he found a scrap of paper in the prison, he would sneak it back to his cell. And there he would pull out a stub of a pencil or a tiny piece of charcoal that he had saved. And he would write on that scrap of paper as tiny as he could. All the Bible verses and scriptural stories or songs that he could remember. When the scrap was completely filled, he would walk to the corner of his little jail cell where there was a concrete pillar that constantly dripped water, except in the wintertime, when the moisture became a solid coat of ice on the inside surface of his cell. Dimitri would take the paper fragment, reach as high as he possibly could, and stick it on the damp pillar as a praise offering to God. Of course... Whenever one of his jailers spotted a piece of paper on the pillar, he would come into the cell, take it down, read it, beat Dimitri severely, and threaten him with death. Still, Dimitri refused to stop his two disciplines. 
Every day he rose at dawn to sing a song, and every time he found a scrap of paper, he filled it with scripture and praise. This went on year after year after year. His guards tried to make him stop. The authorities did unspeakable things to his family. At one point, they even lied to him to believe that his family had been murdered and that his children had been taken by the state. They taunted him cruelly. We have ruined your home. Your family is gone. Demetrius' resolve finally broke. He told God that he would not take any more. He admitted to his guards, you win. I will sign any confession you want me to sign. I must get out of here to find out where my children are. They told Dimitri, we'll prepare your confession tonight, and then you'll sign it tomorrow. Then you'll be free to go. After all those years, the only thing that he had to do was sign his name on a document saying that he was not a believer in Jesus, and he was a paid agent of Western governments trying to destroy the USSR. Once he put his signature on that dotted line, he would be free to go. Dimitri repeated his intention, bring it tomorrow and I'll sign it. That very night, he sat on his jail cell bed. He was in deep despair, grieving the fact that he'd given up. That same moment, a thousand kilometers away, his family, Dimitri's wife and children who were growing up without him, and his brother, sensed through the Holy Spirit the despair of this man in prison. His loved ones gathered around the very place where I was sitting as Dimitri told me his story. They knelt in a circle and began to pray out loud for him. Miraculously, the Holy Spirit of the living God allowed Dimitri to hear the voice of his loved ones as they prayed. The next morning when the guards marched into his cell with the documents, Dimitri's back was straight. His shoulders were squared and there was strength in his face and his eyes. He looked at his captors and declared, I am not signing anything. The guards were incredulous. They had thought that he was beaten and destroyed. What happened? Dimitri smiled and told them, In the night, God let me hear the voices of my wife and my children, my brother, praying for me. You lied to me. I now know that my wife is alive and physically well. I know that my sons are with her. I also know that they are still in Christ, so I'm not signing anything. His persecutors continued to discourage and silence him. Demetri remained faithful. He was overwhelmed one day by a special gift from God's hand. In the prison yard, he found a whole sheet of paper, and God had laid a pencil beside it. Demetri went on. I rushed back to my jail cell and I wrote every scripture reference, every Bible verse, every story, and every song I could recall. I knew that it was probably foolish, Demetri told me, but I couldn't help myself. I filled both sides of the paper with as much of the Bible as I could. I reached up and stuck the entire sheet of paper on that wet concrete pillar. Then I stood and looked at it. To me, it seemed like the greatest offering I could give Jesus from my present cell. Of course, my jailer saw it. I was beaten and punished. I was threatened with execution. Dimitri was dragged from a cell, and as he was dragged down the corridors in the center of the prison, the strangest thing happened. Before they reached the door leading to the courtyard, before stepping out into the place of execution, 1,500 hardened criminals stood at attention by their beds. They faced the east, and they began to sing. Dimitri told me that it sounded to him like the greatest choir in all of human history. 1,500 criminals raised their arms and began to sing the heart song that he had heard Dimitri sing to Jesus every morning for all those years. Dimitri's jailers instantly released their hold on his arms and stepped away from him in terror. One of them demanded to know, Who are you? Dimitri straightened his back and stood as tall and as proud as he could. He responded, I am a son of the living God, and Jesus is his name. The guards returned him to his cell. Later, Dimitri was released and returned to his family.
This is resurrection life. It is to endure with joy and patience. Seventeen years of singing, praising God with beatings. Seventeen years. Can you not miss the point that the release came only through sacrifice of praise and beatings. You do not pray that Demetrius will be released from prison. You do not pray that we get released from the hardships. We pray that Christ is all and that He is our joy in the midst of it all. Because it's in the midst of it all that Christ is lifted up. Lift up Christ from the masses. Lift up Christ from the masses that fill your life. Let him be Lord and King. Let's pray.